This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. So, good, please sit down. Wonderful to be here. It's, uh, it's been such fun and such an incredible honor to be back in South Africa, and to be here is a real special treat. It's fun to be with people who love Jesus and uh, love to honor him in worship and just lay our lives down. It's just so fun. It's, it's better than Disneyland. This is, this is, this is where you want to be. So bless you guys. Thanks for, for that. I appreciate so much. Uh, the privilege to uh, be able to talk to you too. We've had a conference here this week that this church has hosted, and that's been, how many of you uh, showed up at all this week? That was, we, had, we had a good time. We had a good time, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful. Let me read something to you, just because it's what I do. This is very bad theology, so I'm going to start with bad theology, because I want to start and be able to improve throughout the evening. All right. When everybody on earth was dead and waiting to enter heaven, God appeared and said, I want the men to make two lines, one line for the men who were true heads of their household, the other line for the men who were dominated by their wives. (laughs) I want all the wives to report to St. Peter. Soon the women were all gone. There were two lines of men. The line of men who were dominated by their wives was a hundred miles long. And the line of men who were true heads of their household, there was only one man. God looked at the long line and he said, you men should be ashamed of yourselves. I created you to be the head of your household. And look, only one of you obeyed. Learn from him. God turned to the one man and he said, how did you manage to be the only one in this line? The man responded, my wife told me to stand here. So funny. <laughs> Jesus did what he did, all the miracles he, he did as a man yielded to God. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus, the great mystery of of life is Jesus is 100% God while becoming 100% man. And yet he chose to to live as a human being in submission to the Father. We know this because he said of himself in the Gospel of John, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. I've looked up the word nothing. It means nothing. He, he's so restricted his, his access to what he could do as God that he was able to declare over his own life, excuse me, he was able to declare over his own life that I do nothing apart from the Father. The Holy Spirit had been given to him as the empowerment of heaven so that he could function as a yielded person to the Father. He said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. If Jesus did all of his amazing miracles as God, I'm still impressed. 
but I'm reduced to a spectator. When he performs his miracles as God, I stand there and celebrate the goodness of God that's displayed through those miracles. But when he does them as a man submitted to the Father, suddenly I can't stay where I'm at. There, there is this compelling invitation in his example to follow. And I may, you know what? I may never do it well. I may stink at this my entire life. I just don't have the luxury of changing my assignment. He made it quite clear what my responsibility, what your responsibility is. We're to follow him. He said in the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, disciple nations. And then he said this, and teach your disciples what I taught you. What did Jesus teach his disciples? Miracles, signs, wonders, and many other things, but that was included. It was included in the Great Commission that what the standard he set was supposed to be maintained throughout all of church history. <clears throat> Years ago, I had an acquaintance that I, I heard give an illustration that really deeply moved me. He was a pastor, <clears throat> and they were building a new sanctuary, and he was... Uh, very excited his church was exploding in size and they were building this beautiful new sanctuary and, and he, he just uh, he, he, he didn't know anything about building but he wanted to be involved and so he would talk to the contractor and ask if there was anything that he could do and, and of course there wasn't any, anything for him to do because he wasn't a skilled laborer and finally he kept pestering the contractor and so he told him he said listen after everybody leaves tonight we have these boards that need to be cut. And I forget the exact number, so forgive me. But um, let's say 100 boards. We would call them two-by-fours. I don't know. Uh, two-by-four, okay. So 100 boards that need to be cut to, let's say, eight foot in length. So they're longer than that, so he has to cut them to eight feet. So he was so excited because he finally got to do something to be involved in the building of this building and so he took the first board and he measured carefully to eight feet and he marked it and then he took a saw and he cut that board and then instead of using the tape measure he's got a board that's already eight feet so he put it on top of the next board and he marked the eight foot line put that board over here in a pile took the new board and cut it and then he took that board that he had just cut and put it on top of the next one, marked it, and cut it. Every time he did that, though, he didn't realize because he wasn't involved in building. Every time he marked that new board from the one just cut, it was about an eighth inch longer than the previous one. It's not a big deal if you got three or four boards, but if you're cutting a hundred, at the end you end up with boards that are over nine feet long. We've been measuring ourselves as believers with the previous generation and not the original standard. <clears throat> the original standard is Jesus himself. He illustrated what it is like to partner with the Father to display his heart, his nature in the earth. The goodness of God is probably one of the most underrated subjects in the church. I don't know what it's like in South Africa. In our country, insurance companies call natural disasters acts of God. 
Where did they get their theology? From, from the church. The church has a habit of blaming tragedy on the sovereignty of God. Because something has happened. See, the sovereignty of God has been the hiding place for our unbelief. We're able to blame God for difficulty and tragedy when it happened on our shift. It happened on our watch. How many storms did Jesus bless? How many times was he in a boat and there was a life-threatening storm? And you see Jesus just blessing the storm, saying, go destroy that city. It'll humble them. It'll teach them to pray. They'll become like me. You never see that. How many times did somebody come to Jesus and him say, it's not my will to heal you. Go and learn to suffer. Give me praise in the midst of it. That's what the church says, but it's not what Jesus did. So what we're learning is we're learning to return to the original standard. As I've said, I may never do it well, but I don't have the luxury of changing my assignment. Typically, what we do in the church, and I, I, I just have to speak generally. This is, is not an indictment towards any person. But typically, what we do in the church is we look at what we're good at, and we call that our ministry. It's not that using our gifts, our abilities for the Lord. It's not that that's evil or bad at all. It's just we've been summoned into the impossible. That was a good point, Bill. We've been, we've been invited into stuff that we can't do. Look at Matthew chapter 10 with me. I love how Jesus messes with my head. He never contradicts the Bible, but he often contradicts my understanding of the Bible. And he seems to delight in doing so. He's trying to get this mind of mine adjusted so that it accurately reflects his. Like you, I am a work in progress. But look at this verse here. It's in Matthew 10. We'll start with verse 7. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Look at verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Amazing verse. Notice he didn't say, pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. Now you might say, well, Bill, we're not the healers, he is. I agree completely. It's just not what he said. What bothers me is what he said. He said, heal the sick. How do you heal the sick if you can't heal the sick? It sounds like he set me up 
to where the only way I could possibly be successful is that I stay in relationship with him so that he can do through me what I cannot do myself. He ensured that a relationship would be maintained so that I could represent him accurately. What does it mean to represent Jesus? It means to represent Jesus. Look at verse, let's move down to uh, verse 11. Whatever city or town you enter, inquire in it who is worthy and stay there until you go out. When you go out, excuse me, when you go into a house, greet it. I, I love this. I, I love the instructions that Jesus had to give to his disciples. When you walk into a house, say hi. might want to write that down. When you walk into a home, hi, greet them. Nice to meet you. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, I would like to suggest the disciples don't have a clue what he's talking about. We read it after the fact, and it's scripture, and we become almost immune to the surprise of his words. He says, when you go into a house, greet it. Got that down. Uh, if you come into the house and you find that the household is worthy, then let your peace come upon the house. All right. What, you know, how, do you, how do you let your peace come on the house? Do you... <laughs> I mean, there's no instructions there. There's just let your peace come on. And then to make matters worse, Luke's gospel puts it differently. He says, and if nobody's worthy there, Matthew says, take your peace back. Okay. Uh, first of all, I don't know how I got it out there. And once I get it out there, if they're not worthy, how do I find it to get it back? Are you with me on this one? His, his instruction, this, and, and, and this is... This is Christianity 101. This is like the beginner's course of how you move in the spirit of God. Now, in, in the world system, peace is always the absence of something. It's the absence of noise, absence of conflict, absence of war. But in the kingdom, peace is a person. It's the presence of someone. It can exist in the middle of conflict. It can exist in the middle of noise. You can have peace in the middle of war because it is superior to its environment. One of the great things that we find in walking with the Lord <clears throat> is that our internal reality is supposed to become our external reality. Let me explain that. Internal reality. Jesus slept in a storm. Do you remember the story? He's sleeping in a storm. The disciples wake him up and ask the Savior of the world, don't you care that we're perishing? That's weird. He gets up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He declares peace, and the storm stops. What did Jesus do in this moment? Who is he? He's God. The disciples come to him with a request. What do we call that? Prayer. He gets up and he answers their prayer. And then he turns to them and says, how come you don't have any faith? Let me try this side of the room here. 
They wake him up. They give him a request, prayer. He gets up. He answers their prayer. And then he turns and he says, how come you don't have any faith? I thought my job was to pray and his job was to do stuff. Picture this. Jesus is sleeping. I've heard people say he wasn't really sleeping. He, He was sitting there waiting for his disciples to come. Now the Bible says he was sleeping. I believe the whole Bible. I even believe the maps. I, mean, I, I, I believe my leather cover. All of it. I, I believe all of it. it. says he was sleeping. So why is he sleeping? I've heard other people say, well, it just shows you how exhausted he was. He's in this life-threatening storm and he's sleeping. He's just exhausted. No, I'd like to suggest he's sleeping because the world he dwells in has no storms. <clears throat> the, the reason, the reason he could release peace over a storm is because he was dwelling in peace. In other words, what was in him was released from him until the environment around him became like him. Everything settled into the order that he carried. You and I have been called to walk in the same manner, to make sure the internal victories Internal victories position us with authority to influence the nature of the world around us. So here Jesus gives this wonderful commission early in the journey of the disciples. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse lepers. And then he says, when you go into a home, let your peace rest on that home. And Luke's gospel says, if there's nobody worthy, it'll just come back. Love that story. I get jealous for what I see Jesus doing and the apostles. I'm not sure you're supposed to, but I think it's okay. I I don't think he's mad at me for what I'm feeling. Let let me explain it this way. Jesus is walking down the street. He's got a crowd of people pressing in all around him. You know the story. People are pressing in. He's, He's the most popular guy on the planet. Even the Pharisees who hate him want to be there. You know, it's, it's like everybody's there, you know. And so they're talking to him, touching him, doing all this stuff. And he stops in the middle of all this because a woman touched his clothing. He says, somebody touched me. And the disciples are going, yeah. <laughs> everybody's touching you. But her touch was different because when she touched him, she had a faith to believe for a miracle. Here's the part that stirs me. He's in conversation. He's being pushed about activity all over the place. And he was so conscious of the Spirit of God upon him that he recognized when there was a release of presence. Are you tracking with me here? He he was so aware in conversation. It's one thing if you're in prayer, you're in worship, and you sense something happen. That's that's one thing. But it's another to be busy, Christian activity, and feel when the faith of an individual just took a withdrawal. And it's not because he was missing something, because he had the spirit without measure. So it wasn't like there was presence, so it's now not with him, so something's gone. It wasn't that. It was he, 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 he felt the release of power from his body to somebody else's. Now remember, he lived his life as an example that can be followed. So then I, I have to ask the question, what, how does that work? Remember Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said, greater works than these shall you do, 
You can't do greater until you've done the same. The Apostle Paul in Acts 19 was in this massive revival in Ephesus. And um, people came, it says extraordinary miracles were being done. So apparently there's ordinary miracles and then there's extraordinary miracles. So I guess you don't get to the extraordinary miracles till normal miracles are normal. But here, here's the story. They, they would come and they would take um, sweatbands from his head, articles of clothing, sweatbands, aprons. These are both um, articles of clothing that would have been used by him when he was making tents. He was a tent maker. So these were not prayer cloths he prayed over. I believe in that. I'm, I'm, I do that. We do that. But that's not what this is. This is an anointed man of God who, whether he's making tents or preaching the gospel, the presence of the Spirit of God upon him is the same. So profoundly so, people could take the sweatband off his head, take it some miles away, put it on a demonized person, the demons would cry out and leave that individual. They'd be delivered right there on the spot because of touching clothing from the anointed man of God. It's amazing. They would take the aprons, the same thing. People would be healed. So with Jesus, they came and touched the clothing he was wearing. With Paul, they took the clothing from his body to another location. The magic isn't in the clothing, but presence saturates. So when I hear that story, I, I, I think, how do you become so conscious of the Spirit of God Then you recognize when, when the anointing is released from, from your being? How do, how do you stay so conscious of him that you recognize when he's moving and you're in the middle of conversation? That's what I get jealous for. How do, you, how do you maintain that kind of an awareness of him? That in the middle of busy activity, you still are focused entirely on the Spirit of God who's upon you. I, I remember in John chapter 2, there's this um, moment where Jesus is baptized in water. And the, the Bible says, when he came up out of the water, the heavens were parted. In Mark's gospel, when it says the heavens were parted, it's a word that's used in Matthew 27 when it described the veil in the temple being torn and the rocks around Jerusalem being split open. It's actually, when it says the, the heavens were parted, it's a violent term. Do you remember the prayer in Isaiah, rend the heavens and come down? When Jesus was baptized in water, the Spirit of God came upon him in the form of a dove and remained. How did it happen? Because there was a violent act, a ripping, if you will, of the powers of darkness that had shielded humanity from the impact of God's presence that was violated, torn open, the Spirit of God came. And the Holy Spirit came upon you through the same thing. It's a demonstration of God's violent act against the powers of darkness to release the presence of God over our lives. My voice got a little tired today, sorry. 
Let's drink to that. Come on. <laughs> so here, here we've got this. We've got Jesus that touches clothing. We have Paul where they send articles of clothing. Here's one that really gets me. Peter's walking to the temple to pray. And he, he, he somehow got an, a, a reputation that people who were sick, when they just got close to him, they got well. So somehow, somebody experienced it, and the story began to spread, so people started strategizing. Peter prays every morning, this time, <clears throat> at the temple. Let's just line sick people up along the street. Get Aunt Martha. She's sick. Let's get her, lay her in the street there, so that when he walks by, his shadow will touch her, and she'll be healed. See, your shadow will always release whatever overshadows you. There's this profound picture of us being a people that learn to host the Holy Spirit, to host the presence of God. He lives in me for my sake, but he comes upon me for yours. Let me put it this way. The Spirit of God lives in every believer, but he does not rest upon every believer. The ambition of our life should be to be a people upon whom he rests so that once again shadows heal, so that once again clothing carries anointing. See, it says of Jesus, <clears throat> says he was baptized in water, he came up, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove and remained. That phrase, and remain, implies that he, he could leave, but he didn't. And there's a reason why he didn't. Now, I understand the Holy Spirit's in me. He's in me forever. He, he will never leave me or forsake me. That's his covenantal promise with me. But there's something more that is necessary for us to be the influence in the earth, not because we're great people or bold people or any of the gifted things that we could describe. It's not that. It's because of who's with us. It's because of who manifests himself upon us, and that's the Spirit of God. So if the Holy Spirit is on me in the form of a dove, let's just say in the natural I have a dove on my shoulder, and I don't want that dove to fly away. How am I going to walk around this room? The most common answer is carefully, which is absolutely true. But the bottom line is this. If I want the dove to remain, then all my movements are going to be with the dove in mind. Every step is to protect what I value most. Living conscious of the Spirit of God is not... It's not mental gymnastics. It's not the result simply of just discipline. If I were to give you, I'll, I'll give you a weird illustration. <clears throat> if I were to give you a $10 million ring and I said, I want to challenge you, wear this 24 hours a day for 30 days 
at the end of 30 days, if you succeeded, I will give you a million dollars. How many of you would take the challenge? <laughs> you bet I would. I would take that. I would do it for myself. <clears throat> All right, so you got a t $10 million ring on. You can't take it off at night. You can't take it off when you shower. You can't take it off when you go to work. How many of you would be aware of that ring when you go to sleep at night, when you wake up in the, morning, in the middle of the night, you're feeling your hand to see if it's still there because you can't lose it. If you lose it, you're in deep trouble. At work, you know, put your hand in your pocket, feel, make sure it's there. You know, we stay so conscious of this thing because of its value. So is it therefore possible to remain conscious of the third person of the Trinity, the one, I don't want to say he's tender or easily offendable, it's just the description of him by Jesus is astonishing. He says you can blaspheme the Father, the Son, but you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Here's this, here's this tender-hearted, loving expression of God in the person called the Holy Spirit. And he trusts you so much, he says, I'm going to have that one live inside of you. <clears throat> I trust the work that I've done in causing this person to be born again. I trust the work I've done so much, I'm going to put the Spirit of God inside of them to live, making their body a temple. And then in those special moments of life and hopefully becoming a lifestyle, I'm going to cause that presence, that dove, to rest upon them and remain. I believe that before time is over, there's going to be a generation that learns how to host this wonderful Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we, we oftentimes think, I, I believe in bold faith. I believe in great courage. I believe in aggressive ministry of the gospel. I like all of that stuff. <clears throat> but I, I've had too many experiences where I've seen extraordinary things happen because he was in the room, not because of any gift here. I mean, there's obedience, there's cooperation, but do you understand, sometimes we're just the donkey that he rides on. We're, we're, just, we're just the ones who, who enter into a situation, and he is there to do what only he can do. In Luke 5, it says, the power of the Lord was present to heal. That implies that the power of the Lord could be present for something else. But in this moment, it was present to heal. I've seen in atmospheres like this, where that power, the power, the, the person of the Holy Spirit becomes so manifest in a room that you, everybody has this awareness, anything's possible. Uh, literally, just pointing to a person, calling out a condition, a miracle happens. There's, there's nobody praying. There's nobody claiming. There's no, there's no, nobody's exhausted. We, we, we watch him work. He just moves among and heals and restores and delivers. It's because it's one of those divine moments where the power of the Lord was present to, to heal. You already know what it is to be a worshiping people. I believe it's, in many ways, it's the introduction, the introductory class 
on hosting the presence of God. Because in, in many ways, what we're doing in worship is we're not, we're not telling him what to do. We're, it's like he's leading in the dance. The Holy Spirit begins to move. And, and tonight, worshiping with you, I could see here's a group of people that knows how to just respond to what he's saying, respond to what he's doing. The, the team led us so wonderfully, just, just following his lead. And, and that's, like, that's like the beginning lesson, if you will, on hosting the presence where we become a people that he would literally just rest upon. I remember a lot of years ago, I, I, I pastored a, a, a church, I, I pastored a church in a city called Weaverville, a very small mountain community, uh, 3,500 people in the town. And um, I, my wife and I, our kids were there for 17 years. I remember there was a health food store uh, in town that uh, wasn't the, I don't know what kind of health food stores you have here. In the U.S., we typically have either Seventh-day Adventist-type health food stores or the kind that has a lot of New Age stuff. It may be different here, but that's our world. And this wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist kind. It was the kind that had the books <clears throat> by the different gurus and all this stuff. I love to shop there. I, I love the people there. <clears throat> they think they have light, and if light doesn't walk in the room, they're going to die in darkness. So those are the kind of places I, I like to shop. And so I would go and became good friends with uh, the owner. We had him over to our home. We'd been to his home for a meal, and I'd just check up on him and find out how the business was doing because I wanted him to prosper. I, I didn't want the cult books to sell, but I wanted the tomatoes to sell. You know, I, I wanted their cheese to sell. I wanted them to succeed well, and it really was a great addition uh, to our community. It provided something that no other store provided. I remember in, in Weaverville, we didn't have mail delivered to our house. It was for everybody, it was delivered to the post office. And so my office was right downtown, right next to one bar and across the street from the other bar. There's, we had two main bars in town, so we were strategically located. <laughs> you have whiskey, whiskey, and new wine. It was all right, it was all right there. <clears throat> and we, I, I would walk, you know, every day from the office, I'd walk from my office to the post office, get the mail, walk back. Well, there was this this little alley right next to the store that I like to shop at, this health food store. So I'd go over and I'd get the mail and I'd, and I'd come back. And when I'd come back, I'd come to the back door of this store. Uh, I have the mail and I, I would always want to go through and buy something for lunch. So I'd go get some cheese or some fruit or whatever. So I, I would go to the back door and I would, I would stand there for just a moment until I became aware of the Spirit of God resting on me. I found this. I didn't know this early on. I actually, I didn't learn it as a point of theology. I learned it as an experience and later saw it as a point of theology. That I just turned my heart of affection towards him. And as soon as you do that, he just begins to, to show up. He's so drawn to the love of his people. Some might say, well, he was there already. Yeah, that, that may be. I, I don't know how it works. All I know is I was changed. And so I would stand at this back door of the store. I'd just stand there for just a moment and become conscious of the Spirit of God upon me. And once that, I was aware of that, I'd open the door and I'd go in and I'd shop. I, I would never walk, or rarely walk straight to the cheese. I'd walk up and down the aisles. 
because I felt like I was one of those sprinklers. And I have the Spirit of God on me, and I want to saturate everything in the store with the presence of God. I know it's weird. You don't ever have to do this. You don't have to try this at home. But this is what I would do. And I would walk up and down. I'd finally go over and get what I wanted for lunch. <clears throat> I'd come to the, to the cash register and pay and usually ask them, you know, how business was doing and, and, uh, and just uh, honestly be there to support and cheer them on. And one day the owner uh, took me aside. I walked in. He said, Bill, just come here. So he took me over by the lettuce in the vegetable section, you know. And he says, Bill, when you walk in the store, something's different. Now, I was not the only believer who shopped there, but I may have been the only one that invited the Spirit of God to rest upon me so that I could change an atmosphere. Remember, Jesus spoke peace to a storm. It was here, so I'm positioned to release it there. Scripture says we will be led forth with peace, so I don't want to go anywhere peace doesn't take me. We have this incredible privilege when you walk into a home, greet it, or a place of business, and let your peace rest upon that home. It's a person. There's this incredible partnership we have with God himself to see his heart, his presence manifested in the earth. I want to just read this scripture to you. Just listen to it for just a, a, a brief moment here. And then, I, uh, in fact, you can turn, if you would, to the Gospel of John uh, chapter 20. Let, let me read this verse to you. Just listen up. He said, uh, it came to pass at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. And he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. She returned into the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, he took her and drew her into the ark to himself. He waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. What's the international symbol of peace? It's the dove with the olive branch. He came with that olive branch in her mouth, and Noah knew the waters had receded from the earth. He waited another seven days, sent out the dove, which did not return to him anymore. Strange picture. The flood, Noah, and the ark. The dove, of course, we know is a representation of the Spirit of God. So Noah releases. He's got this window in, in, in the ceiling, if you will. He releases the dove. The dove flies around, can't find any place to land, comes back. What did Luke's gospel say? You release peace into the house. If there's no one worthy, the dove will come back. Are you with me? He waits another seven days. He releases. The dove brings back the olive leaf. 
testifying that the waters are receding. Another seven days he releases. It doesn't return again. Jesus, through his clothing, released a person. Peter, through his shadow, released the presence of a person. You and I do not commandeer God. We do not commandeer the Spirit of God to manipulate him into doing whatever we want. That's not it. We are, we are vehicles. We are tools, instruments, yielded vessels that he longs to flow through in the same way that he flowed through Jesus to calm a storm, through Paul to heal tormented people. There's this amazing passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, if you'd turn there if you haven't already. in verse 19 is where we'll start. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. I, I love this verse so much. I, I like it because it's funny to me. The disciples are hiding because they are afraid they're going to die next. They're hiding in the room. They hope nobody knows where they are and you're scared to death, and then someone walks through the wall. That does not help with the fear issues. And then, to make matters worse, whoever walked through the wall, and they don't know who it is. Jesus didn't come, you know, wearing his Jesus ID card. He comes into the room, and they are scared to death, and he says, peace be with you. You ever notice, every time God says, fear not, it's because you have a really good reason to be afraid. Right. So here's, here's this story. He says, peace to you. He says, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. I'd like to suggest that when he walks through the wall, he sees 11 guys going, <laughs> and he does what? He did what Noah did. He released the dove, how? Through decree. Now, we don't manipulate him with our words, but what we do is we learn what the Father is saying. And when we say what the Father is saying, words become spirit. I know that sounds new agey maybe to some, but they copied us in, in an inferior way. It says of Jesus in John 6, he said, my words to you are spirit and they are life. So here's Jesus, the word of God made flesh in John 1 verse 14. But now in John 6, whenever he speaks, the word becomes spirit. You alive? 
Words become spirit. Paul taught us something about the presence. He said in Romans 14, verse 17, he said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom is the realm of the king's domain. So when somebody is healed, that's the kingdom being manifest. When somebody's delivered, somebody is saved, that's the kingdom of God. It's the reality of his rulership being demonstrated. All right? So Paul says this. He says, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It's not this. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. So when words become spirit, the kingdom becomes manifest. Jesus, inviting people into his relational journey, says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because I brought my world with me. And if you don't change your perspective on reality, you can live an entire lifetime within reach of the kingdom of God and never know it. Most Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Yeah. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The manifestation of the absolute perfect dominion of God is within reach of every believer, every moment of every day. So here's this story. Jesus walks through the wall. And much like Noah releases the dove, and the disciples are. And the dove can't find any place to land. The floodwaters of fear still cover the whole earth. And so Jesus shows them the scar on his side, his hands. Then they were glad. They realize it's Jesus. What does he do? He releases the dove again. Peace to you. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. I, I never want to create an attitude in the people of God that we direct him in some manner. I, I, that makes me nervous. But I also don't want to miss the rich truth that we, in fact, are brokers of the presence of God. He, 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 he says, who you favor, I will favor. He, he, he looks for the, the initial action on our part to where he shows favor. It doesn't mean that's all he does. He can show favor on whoever he wants, but he has partnered with you, and he's partnered with me to be people who abide in this presence called the Spirit of God, picking up the heartbeat of Jesus continuously, and in word and in action. Every time that's done, there's a release of presence. Something happens that calms the storm. Something that happens that breaks off torment. Something happens that causes people to find out their identity, find out who they are. Every time you and I cooperate with this wonderful Holy Spirit, something takes place in people's lives that changes them. This is the life of the believer, is that we have been called to give place to this one who by the example given to us is willing to rest upon us 
and remain. To let that be the defining moment or the defining trait or aspect, character of our life is the manifested presence of God. The scripture says, gives us instruction on how we respond to this wonderful Holy Spirit. One is, do not grieve the Spirit. The other is, do not quench the Spirit. Do not grieve. Grieving, we grieve the Holy Spirit when, when we have wrong, uh, sinful actions or attitudes or ambitions. Those things grieve him because they violate our design. They violate what we were made for. We actually made to live in the glory of God. Anything short of that is falling short of our design. So I grieve him when I have ambitions, thoughts, plans, actions that are contrary to my design. I grieve him. And then I quench him. Quench is, is to stop the flow of something. See, see grieving is character-focused, but quenching is power-focused. Those are the two legs we stand on is purity and power. It's the area of integrity and character, but also the issue of power. I hear people say, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pursue uh, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God in my life when I have greater character. Sounds good on paper. Who gives us the right to determine when we're going to obey him and heal the sick, raise the dead, do what he said to do? See, it's in the obedience that our character is formed. It's not apart from obedience. It's not, I go work on my character, and then I come and obey God. Impossible. Impossible. We have been summoned to be a yielded group of people that carry and host the presence of the Spirit of God into the darkest places of the earth. He's not nervous about anything. The redemptive purpose of God is manifest in the work of the Holy Spirit every time we come into a relationship, into a broken situation. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? It doesn't mean to pray to go to heaven. It means to make it a priority. That in any broken situation of life, we seek first as a top priority the manifested dominion of God to come on that tormented neighbor, on that sick body of a friend, on that, on that uh, bankruptcy that's happening at work, that God's order would come and heal and restore, that at every place where there is brokenness, we make it the priority. I'm going to seek first the king and his kingdom. I want him to be glorified by, by me hosting this presence into the workplace. I want you to stand, if you would, please. Most every night of my life when I get into bed, I turn my affection towards the Holy Spirit. It's not a time where I'm going to intercede for the nations because then I'll be awake all night. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to sleep. There's a time for sleep, the Bible says, and I like that time. <clears throat> Me and sleep are very good friends. I'm not with him as much as I would like to be, but he's still a good friend of mine. But in that moment of crawling into bed, I turned the affection of my heart towards the Holy Spirit. 
until I become aware of him. Literally just, just resting on me. It's not, I, I don't break into song. I don't do any of that stuff because I want to go to sleep. But what I like is to engage with him before I go to sleep. Most of us would have better days if we had better nights. In Genesis chapter 1, the day begins at night. It says there was night and there was day, which made up the first day. It's this encounter with the Spirit of God. It's where he literally rests upon us in these times of, of being asleep, of resting. In these moments, the Spirit of God hovers over us like he did the surface of the waters in Genesis 1. This word hover is a word that it means to brood. It would be like a mother hen sitting on her eggs, brooding on those eggs. Why? Because life is coming forth. So the Spirit of God rests upon his people because he's bringing forth new expressions of life, new avenues of liberty, new demonstrations of who Jesus is through his people. This is the great privilege that we have in life. John 20, Jesus releases peace. I personally believe it was in that moment the disciples finally realized what he meant in Matthew 10 when he said, when you go into a house, let your peace rest on it. I want to pray for you. We're going to pray for the sick in just a moment, but, but I want to pray for you because I believe I believe for me, I believe for you, this is a season of upgrade where he increases my awareness of him. I'm, I'm not talking about the emotions. Emotions go up and down. We can't depend on that. We know what the word of God says. I believe that regardless of what I feel. But the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. Two of the three are felt realities. Two of the three are felt realities. Righteousness, that's my position. Peace and joy are experiential. I did not marry my wife so that I would have a marriage certificate to hang on the wall. I did not marry her to have a legal contract. I married her because I wanted to spend the rest of my life in a relationship with her. It's a felt reality. It's an experience that I will experience on the phone tonight, FaceTime, again, as we talk. I don't want the philosophy of marriage. I want the relationship. In this, I believe, I, I, I want to prophesy now. I feel like the Lord is upgrading the felt reality of the Spirit of God upon us, not for us to dictate to Him, but for us to be a glove that He would put on, that He would actually put us on like a glove and demonstrate His love, His kindness, His power, His purity, all these things through us. So hold your hands in front of you. I just, I just want us to pray. 
It's just as an act of receiving. So, Father, first I, I pray what I believe is your heart that this entire church, this ministry that you've raised up in this great nation, that you've positioned them for an upgrade. So I join my voice with yours, and I just declare today is a day of upgrade. This is a season of upgrade. Discovering the reality of the Spirit of God in every single part of life, that there would be no part of our life void of the manifested presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Awaken in us that deep, profound affection for you, that affection that you have for us, let us now mirror that affection for you. And that this would be a, a season where we learn to say what the Father is saying and do, what the Father is doing, that somehow the manifestation of the presence of God would become increasingly great in this nation. We pray for the salvation of a nation. We pray for the transformation of a nation. But I ask that you do it through yielded people that are so impacted by the brooding of the Spirit of God upon us as he transforms and changes us. We pray this for the honor of the name Jesus. Real quickly, put a hand on the shoulder of somebody next to you and just pray, God, give them grace for this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Give them grace. Make them so aware of your heart for them. Just somehow put this into your own words. Pray to God, assist them, help them in this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now ask the Lord to double it. Just increase, increase, increase that mantle for breakthrough, that mantle for encounter for the transformation of life as we know it. Ask the Lord to use them in miracles. Use them in miracles, Lord. Use, use them in, in saying what you're saying, changing the atmosphere of a given place through decree, through declaration. Let the power of your voice be released through the surrender of our voice. And finally, Lord, I pray for, for this ministry. I thank you for this church, for this leadership team. I ask that the beauty of family would be a prophetic message from this house that would impact the entire nation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. 